what I was going to speak on Sunday night. Uh, Sunday night, like I said, the young people begin to minister in song. The presence of God begin to sweep. People begin to fill the altars. And um, I, I'm glad for what God did. But I want you, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of 2 Kings chapter uh, 16. I want to read it in, you know, read several verses in, you know, while you're here. And then we'll go back and uh, kind of break it down a little bit. Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 16, let's look at verse 1. Uh, I think this is the King James. I'm reading from my notes and not my, my Bible, so I think this is the King James that I'm reading. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty years old was Ahaz when he began to reign, and reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord his God, like David his father. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, yea, made his son pass through the fire according to the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places on the hills and under every green tree. Skip down to verse 10 if you will. And King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria. And he saw an altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Urijah the priest the fashion of the altar and the pattern of it according to all the workmanship thereof. And Urijah the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Urijah the priest made it against King Ahaz uh, when he came from Damascus. And when the king was come from Damascus, the king saw the altar, and the king approached the altar and offered their own. Skip down to verse 16. Thus did Urijah the priest according to all that King Ahaz commanded. And King Ahaz cut off the borders of the bases and removed the laver from them. And he took down the sea from off the brazen oxen that were under it and put it on a pavement of stones. And the covert for the Sabbath which they had built in the house and the king's entry without turned he from the house of the Lord for the king of Assyria. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaz which he did are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Ahaz slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his stead. Much like the book of Judges reads as a snapshot of, of years that had passed. And the Bible says every man did what was right in his own eyes. And you see this snapshot of, of, of you know, they would be good and then, and then they would fall into idolatry. And someone would come and begin to, 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 to beat them up and take them captive and steal their, their crops. And so God would raise up a judge. And you see this up and down, but mainly down trajectory in the book of Judges, in the book of, uh, of 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, you begin to see much of the same except now it's applied to the kingdoms. Uh, after, after Solomon had passed, the, the kingdom was split. There was a, uh, 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 just a kind of a coup and it began to happen and the kingdom of Israel was split into two kingdoms. You had the southern kingdom, Judah, which was two tribes. You had the northern kingdom of Israel, which was uh, ten tribes. And, and they would, they, they would uh, kind of have their own trajectories a lot of times. Judah uh, did a lot better than Israel, but yet hardly any of the kings were perfect. 
they, they again, it was that downward trajectory. It, it became so bad, in fact, in the story of King Ahaz, uh, you'll see some of this. It became so bad that, that civil wars broke out. The kingdom of Israel would fight against the kingdom of Judah. And it was sad, excuse me, it was sad that uh, God's people would allow themselves to be so broken and fragmented that this would begin to happen. And while we don't have kings and kingdoms uh, today, you know, especially here in America, and our churches don't operate like that, there are some similarities that I believe need to be seen in these stories that would serve as a solemn reminder for the church and for each of us as individuals. You, you can see the timeline of King Ahaz, the king of Judah. He's the son of the king of, of Jotham, King Jotham's reign. You can read it in 2 Chronicles. And, and if you read 2 Chronicles, especially chapter 27, verse 6, so Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. Jotham was a pretty good king. But he had a son uh, named Ahaz. Ahaz had a son named Hezekiah. Let's look at... We're going to bookend the reign of, Hezekiah, uh, of Ahaz. So at the beginning is his father Jotham. He, was, uh, he had prepared his way before the Lord as God. His son Hezekiah. This is what Hezekiah's reign is summed up as in 2 Chronicles 29.2. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. But in the middle of those two, you have King Ahaz. King Ahaz began to reign. He, he, he started his reign at the age of 20. For 16 years, he reigned as king. And he did not, he did not do what was right in the sight of God. If you remember or recall what we read just a moment ago, 2 Kings chapter 16, he followed the kings of Israel. That's not a good thing. Uh, the way they use that is to, is to remind you that the kings of Israel had strayed from God's word, strayed from God's commandment. And Ahaz, if you will, followed the crowd. And, and perhaps it could be summed up, if everybody else is doing it, I'm going to do it. He followed backslidden kings. And here's the danger of following backslidden people. It's not too long before you're not following the backslider. You're just flat out following the pagan king. And that's one of the downfalls of Ahaz. Ahaz got involved in idolatrous worship. He, he made molten images of Baal. Uh, he, he, he burned incense in the valley of Ben-Hanam. He went so far as to sacrifice his children in the fires of Molech to those false gods. If you read, we read uh, in, in 1 Kings it said he sacrificed his son. But if you skip over and see the, the, the sister passage to that in 2 Chronicles 28, it says he sacrificed his sons. Indicates that there were more than one that he would sacrifice. Can you imagine a, a king of God's chosen people not only falling into Baal and, and idolatry, but getting to the point where he would sacrifice his sons in the fires of Moloch. He sacrificed and burned incense everywhere he could find. The Bible has a very unique way of putting it. It says, under every green tree, every corner, every time you turned around, there was Ahaz and leading the children of, of Israel, and I know he was the king of Judah, but just the children of Israel, if you will, leading them away. So Israel 
that, 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 that civil war began to happen. Israel got into connections with Syria. And Israel and Syria ransacked Judah and was able to carry away many captives. But they could not destroy Judah because it was not yet God's timing. Now, one of the things I love about when you really start to read the Bible is watching how other passages and other chapters and other verses and other books fit together. I like it when you read about the chronicles of a king and then you go over to the major minor prophets and you see what those prophets had to say about the king. Now, this is interesting. I find this, this is one of those things that if you're not careful, you'll only read the, the candy stick portion and you'll forget everything that happened before it. And so I want to I take you, because we're going to get to the end of this uh, reading of Scripture, and you're, when you get to the last verse of it, you're going to be like, I know that verse, but I want to put it in context. The prophet Isaiah came to Ahaz during this time, Israel's serious attack. They've carried off captives, and, and, and it's there. But the, the prophet Isaiah comes to Ahaz, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. And I want you to listen very carefully. And, and it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the king of Rimliah, the king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. They, they got captives, but they couldn't defeat it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is in confederate with Ephraim. And his heart was moved in the heart of his people, as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Shear Jezhub, thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool, which is in the highway of the fuller's field. And say to him, Isaiah, look that king in the eye, and say to him, Take heed, be quiet, and fear not, neither be faint-hearted. For the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin with Syria and the son of Remaliah, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have taken up evil counsel against thee. So he's telling Ahaz, don't be afraid, don't fear. I know you've got something coming against you. I know these kings of Syria and Israel are coming. And they're saying, let's go up against Judah. Let's vex it. Let's make a breach therein for us. And let's set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tobiel. Okay? Then Isaiah looks at King Ahaz and says, But thus saith the Lord, It will not stand neither shall it come to pass. How would you like it in the midst of a great trial of your life, in the midst of an attack of the enemy, when it feels like you're overwhelmed and you're outnumbered for, for a prophet, a man of God to come and say, I heard from the Lord and it's not gonna come to pass. I'd be shouting my shoes off. I'd be getting excited, man. Even though I've been, you know, idolatrous worship everywhere, Man, God still is going to be with me. What grace. He goes on to say, the Lord through Isaiah, the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramallah's son. And if you don't believe this, surely you shall not be established. Where's your faith? And then, moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God, ask it either in the depth or the height above. Ahaz, I know you're facing a battle. 
I know it seems like the world is attacking. And, and I'm telling you, God's got his hand on it. It's not going to come to pass. And let me, let me build your faith, Ahaz. Ask for a sign. And Hezekiah, he, he asked for a sign and, or, or you know, had a sign and God, God helped him. There's other times. Ask for a sign. But Ahaz was a stubborn old fool. And he said, I will not ask. Neither will I tempt the Lord. God said, hear ye now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you now weary God also? It's bad enough that you're aggravating. It's bad enough that you're vexing each other. But now you've just got on my nerves, the Lord said. And so Ahaz, you won't ask for a sign. But verse 14. So therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Israel missed its opportunity because of that king. Ahaz didn't listen. Ahaz didn't trust in God. And the whole reason, that, I mean, it's just, it's just part and parcel of the downfall of Israel that they wouldn't even hear the sign of what was to come. And then when God finally does put himself on earth, they still don't listen. Israel had just fallen in. He, he, he did not trust the Lord. But he decided to seek help from his enemy, Assyria. Think about that. Not only is it, I don't believe in you, God. I don't trust in you, God. I don't want to even hear what you have to say. But hey, Assyria, I know you've attacked us in the past. And I know we haven't always been buddies. But I need you now. And in turning to his enemy, Ahaz began to grovel in 2 Kings chapter 16 and verse 7. Ahaz said to that foreign, pagan, adulterous king, he said, I am your servant and I am your son. Now, you know, we're, we're, we're most, I assume all of us are, we're red-blooded Americans. We ain't going to bow to nobody. We ain't going to acquiesce to nothing. And I can't imagine. Can you imagine the one who is called the child of God? They're the children of Israel, God's chosen people. God says, I'm going to make you a nation. You're going to be my princes. You're going to be rulers. Can you imagine leaving that to grovel and say, I'm the servant, the son of a pagan king. It's a far cry from that conquering tribes of Israel that God blessed and brought low every nation that stood in its way. But Ahaz didn't want to hear God. So if you begin to read 2 Kings chapter 16 and verse 9, King Tiglath-Pilazar took care of King Rezin of Syria. He defeated it, but I'll tell you, it wasn't because he liked King Ahaz. It probably benefited uh, uh, Assyria to take care of King Rezin. And if you begin to look, again, you got to put the two stories together. If you look at 2 Chronicles chapter 28, especially in verse 16, you'll find that king of Assyria, Tiglath-Pileser, he was stringing Ahaz along. He would tell Ahaz, tell you what, Ahaz, I'll help you out, but I need, I'm going to need some money from you. So Ahaz would go to the king's uh, treasury, 
And he would get a ransom, an amazing amount of of jewels and money. And he would bring it to King Ahaz. And King Ahaz would act like he was helping him. He'd say, you know what, I've I've ran out of money. If you want my army to help you, I'm going to need a little bit more. And he'd go back and he'd go back. And finally, the king's treasury was was depleted. And so he starts going into the temple. And he begins to pull out the treasures of the temple. And he begins to give the gold and the silver. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 28... That Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria, came to him, distressed him, but strengthened him not. For Ahaz took away a portion of the house of the Lord and out of the house of the king and the princes and gave it unto the king of Assyria and helped him, and he helped him not. And in a time of his distress did he trespass yet more against the Lord. This is that, King Ahaz, the Bible says. He goes to Assyria. He goes and grovels at the feet of a pagan king. And there he sees an altar in one of their pagan temples. And Ahab looks at that altar and it looks good. And he goes and he runs his hands along that altar and he, he, he gets some pictures. He takes out his iPhone and he, he snaps a few pictures of it. And he, he, he gets a ruler and he, he, he sees the measurements of it. And he sends back to Uriah the priest, I want you to build me an altar like the one I saw in the pagan temple of, uh, of Assyria. And so Uriah takes the plans and builds an altar just like the one they saw in Damascus. And when, and when King Ahaz comes back, he comes and he sacrifices on that pagan built altar. And he pushes out the old altar, the bronze altar from its place. And he moves it off to the side. And Ahaz begins to crave the things that he sees in the world rather than the altar that came from God himself with very specific instructions and a very detailed look. But there's something else that happens. And and I understand who I'm preaching to. Uh, I I could preach this message to, to, to fellow ministers and fellow pastors. But one thing that drove drives me crazy as I begin to read this, if you look at 2 Kings chapter 16 and verse 14 through 16, you find that he said, let's take this new altar, this newfangled altar, new ideas, things I've seen, surely it'll work. Let's put it in the place of the old altar. And let's, let's sacrifice on that. But that old bronze altar, I want you to move it over to the side, and that's going to be my personal altar. I realize I'm preaching to the choir. I understand that. But you know what frustrates me and aggravates me, uh, 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 Brother Harpole, more than anything? is when I watch somebody take the, what the Word of God says and what the, 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 the faith of our forefathers and that apostolic truth from the disciples and the apostles and they begin to throw it away and they sweep it away and I've got friends that are preaching a false doctrine and a fake doctrine but in their quiet times they long for what they used to have and they don't want their church to hear about it but in their quiet times they're alright with the Holy Ghost but when they preach they don't talk about the Holy Ghost but in their quiet time they long for a move of God but how dare God move in their service and I'm telling you they begin to lower the bar he said I want what everybody else has he didn't do 
just that. He lowered the lavers, these, these, these places, it, for lack of a better word, they were baptismal tanks. They didn't baptize, you know, kind of like what we do, but they were, they were baptisms, they were cleansings. And, and they were up on, on, on a, a beautiful pedestal and, and, and up on different things. I believe it was an a, a oxen that, that they would have these huge bowls on. But he lowered them to the ground. He cut their bases up and stole the precious metal out of it. I heard, I think it may have been, brother, been years and years and years ago. I'm talking about back when we first got married. We were in Oklahoma. And I remember uh, brother Jerry Jones preaching about lowering the labor to the ground. That, that they, were, they were taking the requirements for baptism and they were bringing it down. Don't go up, but let's just kind of go down. Let's, you know, we don't want anybody to have to really you know, work hard. We don't want anybody to have to change. We don't any, want anybody to have to repent or do anything different. Let's just lower everything to where no one has to go up. He remodeled the temple entrances. He shut, finally, in 2 Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 24, he finally shut the temple doors for good. He said, we don't even need it anymore. And then at that point, he began to make altars in every corner of Jerusalem. You say, Pastor, what are you, what are you trying to get at? Well, it's very simple. And, and, and while I don't think this church has an issue with this, I believe it's important that we be cognizant of what begins to push its way in. And if we're not careful, we will allow the world to dictate what the church does. We'll allow the world to, we'll remove God from being in charge. We'll remove God's word from being what we stand on and what we follow. And instead, we will allow whomever and whatever to become our Lord. If we're not careful, we'll lower the bar. It's, this is why it's so important that this church continues to preach that if you want to be saved, it's through the waters of baptism. It's through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It's through the repentance of sin. It's important that behind this pulpit, it's continuing to be preached. That holiness and separation from this world is still very much a necessity in today's time and hour. It's very much the fact that we ought to never lower the bar. But in fact, the more that I live and the more that I read, the more I find that as we grow older and as the this world progresses we ought to do more for the Lord not less because all too often churches will allow the world to dictate its trappings and dictate its fixing and the church if you will will lower the bar and you say what do you mean well it's very simple I never dreamed that I would ever get to a place or be in a world where a preacher would allow the world to tell them what they can and cannot preach but it's happening in fact I when I when I when I pulled out uh I had have printed notes tonight, and when I pulled out my my uh, little 
thing to put my notes in. I still had the handwritten notes from a couple Sundays ago when I preached about the importance of the Word of God. And I talked about the day where, where, where the California bill, where, where they're, they're, they're putting that, uh, you know, you, you can't tell someone that, that they're homosexual. You can't tell them they're wrong and they need to change because under that law, if, it, if it's passed, that will be considered a hate speech. And it will not stop there. Pretty soon it will be if you if this uh, if America is not careful. Pretty soon it will be that the church and the pastors and the ministry and the Bible can't tell anybody they're wrong. I mean, I don't I don't judge people. I don't. I don't want to tell you you're wrong. I let the word of God do that. But I'm so thankful here at the Lighthouse we can still create an atmosphere where an old sinner can walk into the, the church and they can hear the word of God preached and tears begin to flow down their face until they say like they did on the day of Pentecost, men and brethren, what must I do to be saved? I don't want to lower the bar. I still want to tell you that right is right and wrong is wrong. I still want to tell you that sin has is a part of humanity and until you're born again you cannot see heaven one commentator put it this way talking everything I've been saying he wrote it this way this is a picture talking about the story of Ahaz this is a picture of what often happens in Christian ministries today someone sees something out in the world that would fit into the Lord's work and the church begins to imitate the world this was one of the dangers, and uh, I, I told you last Sunday night as I, as I ended that, the, the, the worship and we got ready to go baptize Sister Debbie, I told you that I'm pushing towards uh, uh, the Sunday after Father's Day because we don't have Sunday night church next Sunday, but the next Sunday I'm going to start a series on uh, praying through the tabernacle. And when you begin to read in the Old Testament, you begin to see that God was very specific how he wanted his church to be, his tabernacle. He said, you build it just like this, this big, this long, this high, this many layers. This is who comes in. This is who has to stay out. This is what's going to happen. And then likewise, when, when the temple was constructed and there was going to be a permanent dwelling place, God gave the plans to David. There wasn't a building committee. There wasn't a vote on the design of that tabernacle. But as you leave David, Solomon's tabernacle, you're going to go a little bit further. And slowly but sh slowly, as the pro progressive tabernacle or, or temples, you have uh, 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 Zechariah's temple or whatever they call that, and then you have uh, uh, Herod's temple, you begin to find that they were slowly leaving what God had designed it to be. And today, this is not my words, this is a commentator uh, he said, today the church is becoming so much like the world, it's getting difficult to tell them apart. Just before service, we were talking in the, in the office. Brother Jolly came in and he was talking about uh, some, some, some people in ministry that he's been connected with. And he said, it was interesting. I heard things come out of their mouth that you would have heard in a bar. Because it's so if we're not careful, we lower the bar. And you can't tell the church and the world apart. A.W. A. Tozer, a prolific 
Christian writer. He died in 1963, and uh, I've not read a lot of his stuff in its entirety, but my goodness, there's so many just nuggets and tidbits that you you begin to go. But he, he made this statement. Aside from a few grosser sins, the sins of the unregenerated world are now approved by a shocking number of professedly born-again Christians and copied eagerly. When did I say he died, Grant? Did you hear me? 1963. I'm not picking on you. I want to ask you a question. 1963. That's before I was born. So we're not talking about somebody that's writing right now in today's uh, setting. But young people, I want you to listen to what he said in 19... Well, before 1963. He died in 19... This is what he said. He said, young Christians take as their model the rankest kind of worldlings and try to be as much like them as possible. If that's what they were doing with Leave It to Beaver on TV, can you imagine what we're doing now? I mean, I, I grew up and, and, and I fought back to it and, 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 and asked my dad all the time, you know, Dad, how come we don't have a television? And How come I can't go to the movies? And, and, and we'd look back and, you, you know, and I'd say, you know, what's wrong with Laurel and Hardy? What's wrong with the Three Stooges? And, you know, I didn't get it. Then you look at what is out today. We're not careful. We lower the bar to a place That we can't tell apart. He made this statement, A.W. Tozer. Religious leaders have adopted the techniques of the advertisers. Boasting and baiting and shameless exaggeration are now carried on as a normal procedure in church work. And the moral climate of the church is not that of the New Testament, but rather that of Hollywood and Broadway. Written before 1963. So I ask you today, rhetorical question that you answer within your own mind. I want you to tell me, name me one sin, one action. Name me an element that if you do and you don't repent of it, you'll go to hell for. Name me, you know, again, rhetorical. I'm not asking you to tell me now. Just think about it in your mind. Name me a sin that's bad enough you'll go to hell for it. Now, go ask your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, and your schoolmates. You think they'll have a hard time answering that question? If I tell a lie, Bible says I go to hell. Ask your friends if you tell a lie. Is God going to let you slip into hell? They'll tell you, oh, I don't know about that. What about a white lie? What about a gray lie? Homosexuality? That's okay. It's even legal. Marriage? Who needs it? Adultery, fornication? It's just par for the course. Drugs? Let's legalize them. Ahaz not only cut up the treasures of the temple, not only did he rebuild an altar copied after the world, but he kept going until he closed the doors of the temple and just allowed altars to be built on every corner of the street. He was saying, you don't need a church. You can just go home. You can be the church. You don't have to come to church. Just do your own thing. Worship in your own way, and you'll be okay. See some similarities in how we live and the world we live in today? And again, I read another commentator. He said, the king could have never made these changes without the cooperation of Uriah the high priest. 
If you remember when King Uzziah tried to rebel against the word of the Lord and enter the temple, the high priest Azariah with 80 other priests withstood him and said, you're not coming in here. And those priests said, this is a holy place. But Uriah and his priests, they compromised. They they disobeyed the law of Moses. They gave in to their king. And once the compromise begins, it grows and it grows. And all it takes for evil people to triumph is for weak people like Uriah to just let others have their way and disregard what the word of God said. He removed the furnishings, he took all the vessels, he closed the doors of the temple. He set up altars in the streets of Jerusalem. That little leaven began to leaven the whole lump. And it was not until the reign of his son Hezekiah that the temple that Ahaz defiled was reopened and resanctified. But Ahaz, as bad as he was, could never have changed without the cooperation of the high priest. And I want to tell you today, this very simple thing the world may desire the church to change the world may desire for the word of God to be thrown out and if you and I do nothing it will change but as long as there's some people who will stand in the gap as long as there's some priests that don't give in to the changing morality of the world, as long as there's somebody that grabs hold of his word and says, I know what the word of God says. I know what it means. We cannot lower the bar. If you do that, then I promise the world can scream and shout and do whatever it wants to do. But the church will stand for truth. But you cannot stand for things you do not know. Why did Eve fall so quickly? She did not know the word of God. Why did churches fall so quickly? They don't know the, church, the, the word of God. Why is your pastor pounding and preaching the word of God is so important it's because in a changing shifting morality and culture that it just you have no idea what you're going to wake up to tomorrow and what's going to be legal and what's going to be okay and what's going to be celebrated there is only one thing that stands firm and that is the word of God and the principles found therein I begin to look and again, let me, I know I ended this way, but I, I, I want to, uh, last Sunday, but I want to I just remind you because I'm pushing towards, we're going to start that series, Praying Through the Tabernacle. We're going to show how perfectly that tabernacle was created and how it, it, it applies to our life today. Not that we go back and sacrifice on the tabernacle, but it was a, 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 a blueprint for the salvation that God ultimately brought. There's some 40 verses about the creation of this world in the Word of God. But there's 400 verses on how to build the tabernacle. Two chapters you find describing the creation. Five books of the Bible are dedicated to the tabernacle and to the redemption. That tabernacle, it's perfect. 
It was perfect from the beginning. It blueprint, that pattern, that plan, that design. It was all conceived in heaven. God didn't lean down and say, hey Moses, what do you think about this? But all too often there's too many people that think that's how God works today. God's going to say, well, what do you think? How, how do you think I ought to do it? Hate to bust your bubble, but God don't really care what you think. God doesn't care what I think. God only cares Am I following his word? I read a, a Facebook post on June the 10th. Jeremy Ellis, a minister, he said, We must be very careful not to allow new fads to replace old facts. See, that's what I like about facts is they don't change. That's what I like about the absolute of the word of God. It doesn't change. God said, set no unclean thing before your eyes. That don't change whether you're back in hieroglyphics or you're in widescreen 4K TVs. doesn't matter if the technology changes. The principle says, set no unclean thing before your eyes. So it doesn't matter where this world goes. If we ever get to the place where you can put a cap on your head and get images beamed right down into your brain, the Word of God's still going to apply to that. Set no unclean thing before your eyes. When it comes to your communication, it doesn't matter whether you're communicating, talking to one another, you're communicating with a letter, you're communicating over a phone, you're communicating through Twitter or, or, or Facebook, it doesn't matter. It talks about let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. It's not time to lower the bar. My righteousness, if you will, is not connected to the lack of righteousness in this world I don't say I've got to be more righteous than the world because what that means is as the world's morality drops so does my righteousness because as long as I'm just better than them I'm okay that's not how God operates God said I set the bar up here and I don't care if the world goes down into the sewer this is where I want you this is where I need you this, and, and this is the beautiful thing about the presence of God. This is where He pulls us up to. This is where He draws us up to. Don't let the church lower the bar. I'm not interested in what the world is doing. I'm not interested in what others uh, are finding. I'm not looking for a new altar. I'm not looking for a new gospel. I'm not looking for a new word. I'm not looking for a new way. I'm not looking for a new uh, a, a way to win the lost. I'm saying, God, is my life lined up to your word? And if so, then I can walk with you. I want to be a Hezekiah, not an Ahaz. I want to be the one that, that, that brings it. And I'm finding it more and more today. The Bible says that you know it's, it's inevitable this world is going to wax worse and worse it's inevitable nothing nothing that, that, that is not of God gets better God created humanity to live forever be immortal but because of sin God said I don't want you to live forever in your sin and so God put a, a biological clock in all of us we're all going to die. 
You let this world, just watch, watch governments as they, as they become more secular. They implode. They never get better. Everything gets worse. Everything falls down. Everything slides down. Everything deteriorates, declines. But God said that even as the world waxes worse and worse, because His holiness and His word remains constant, it will draw some to it. And I find today that as bad as this world is getting, I'm finding more people that I come in contact with that are so hungry for someone that hasn't lowered the bar. People that... that have existed in their in their churches and, and, and no matter what you said in the word of God it would never change their mind and they were so dogmatic in their church and in their religion and in their, their understanding but now their churches have gotten so far away from anything that resembles the truth they're starting to look around is there anybody that still preaches the unadulterated truth in the word of God just yesterday, I think it was, in the I think it's the O'Fallon, maybe St. Charles, I can't remember. There's a Facebook page that's like a, a buying and selling thing. I've never in my life seen this before, but someone put on that St. Charles or, or, or O'Fallon buying and selling. Is there any church in O'Fallon that still believes in being spirit-led? I saw it and I began to respond to the lady. And then as quickly as I responded, I watched as some of you, y'all must have been on the same and y'all begin to tag the lighthouse. Because people are, are clamoring. Is there anybody that hasn't lowered the bar? Why, how, how, how is the church continuing to shine? Because I haven't changed his word. And it becomes very easy when somebody finally cracks open a Bible. Because for the most part, no matter what religions come and go, for the most part, the Bible, they haven't messed the Bible up too much. You'll get a few crazy versions of the Bible here and there that started taking out some things. But you know, get a hold of a good King James Bible, get a hold of a good English, English Standard Version, the one I have right here. You get a hold of that and it still says the same thing it said when it was first written. So you got people that are starting to read their Bible. Dwayne and I, we were the, the well at my mother-in-law's house, or, or the, 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 what do you call it, the water softener went bad. So I went over there and made sure that he could get in. Dwayne came, and remember what he said? He said, he, 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 what is he, 70, 74 years old, I think he said. He's 74 years old. He's still putting water softeners in. He hadn't, we didn't even talk about God. It, what, that wasn't even one thing. This is what he said. He said, well, I wake up every morning and I read my Bible. I don't know what he believes. I don't know what church he goes to. But if you start reading your Bible, it's not too long for you start seeing the Word of God and that light begins to shine. And you get people hungry for the Word of God. And then preachers get up and they preach it and it's different from what's in the Word. It starts messing with people's minds. And they start asking this question, is there anybody that hasn't lowered the bar? Would you stand with me today? 
I've made up my mind as a pastor. I've made up my mind as a minister. I've made up my mind as a, as a, a, a parent that I'm going to do my very best never to lower the bar. But now I put it in your lap. What about you? Are you willing to say, I don't want to lower the bar. I'm not looking for another altar. I'm not looking to do what the world does. I want to follow Jesus. That's your prayer. Would you just begin to close your eyes? Maybe lift your hands. and Would you just begin to pray? Would you, would you let God begin to examine you? Why don't you see if there's any bars you've lowered? Why don't you see if there's any, any places where you've kind of got written, rid of what God designed and planned and the principles of God and you've kind of pushed that altar out of the way and you found something that suits you a little more and you place it in there. I, I think it's time for you to remove that, that altar of Damascus. It's time for you to remove that altar of Assyria. It has no place in your life. That worldly thing that's crept in and you've, you've, you've put front and center doesn't have any place in your life. Why don't you remove it? Why don't you say, God, I, I, I need you. I need your presence. I, I need your altar. Lord, let me find that altar. Let me find that, that, that precept, that line upon line, that standard, that, that measurement of your word. Let me get back to that, I pray. God, I'm asking that in your precious name. I'm asking that you would speak to me in Jesus' name. Would you touch me?